record to this computer. Okay, uh, so we're running. Um, uh, hello, everyone. This is Kevin Andrew Richards from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign here to host another episode of uh, the Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education podcast segment that we call Going Behind the Research. Rather than providing a forum to discuss research that is conducted in health and physical education, the Going Behind the Research segment focuses on telling stories uh, that surround research um, that we read in scholarly journals. Globally, the segment aims to humanize research by providing a forum to discuss the motives that draw researchers towards topics and studies, challenge, uh, challenges and successes experienced along the way, and lessons learned that transcend individual journal publications and impact future research decisions. Each episode will feature an interview with one or more members of an authorship team to discuss the stories behind a selected publication, including uh, a, a, a excuse me, including a, a, a brief overview of the study. The common set of questions will you uh, will be used to facilitate each individual conversation. Um, as has happened, however, these conversations tend to be unique. Um, as the, the, the follow-up questions that I'll ask in the ensuing conversation kind of goes different directions depending upon the interviewee. Um, so uh, with that said, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to welcome uh, with us today Oscar uh, Nunez Enriquez, uh, who's going to talk about the article that he co-authored with Kim Oliver uh, titled The Collision of Two Worlds, When a Teacher-Centered Facilitator Meets a Student-Centered Pedagogy. Uh, that article is published in um, uh, Sport Education and Society, and we'll link it in the show notes uh, to the episode. Oscar, thank you so much for being with us today. Kevin, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, so just to get us started, um, before we get behind the research, please give us a brief overview of the study with the reminder that the article, uh, as I mentioned a second ago, will be linked in the show notes of the episode for anybody who's interested in reading more. So basically, it summarizes my life as a doctoral student and the challenges that I face while learning a new pedagogical perspective coming from a male-dominated country that never that, that I never thought it was so ingrained in my academic and personal life. Mm. So it basically summarizes how I struggle with those challenges, even though that I knew that I that this new learning was beneficial for my students. I was kind of like uh, uh, facing that struggle of why do I have to leave my uh, power, quote unquote, yeah. uh, as a teacher and, and, and listen to my students. Yeah. And it was something that I was taught from an early age that everything needed to come from me. So when learning this new approach with Kim, it was the main struggle that I faced. And of course, that also, I mean... Um, made me realize on other struggles in a different levels, personal levels and academic levels. But basically from an autoethnographic perspective, it summarizes how I felt and how I dealt with those challenges and, 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 and how it set the tone for me to become a new researcher and teacher in higher education. Wow, uh, my, my head is spinning in like a thousand different directions. As somebody who studies socialization, it's super, super interesting to me. Um, you know, it, it's almost, I, you didn't couch it this way, but but I would almost view this as, as like research into your own socialization experience and that, that can lead you to question some of the assumptions that are ingrained from from a very young age. So so I don't, I don't want to go there though, because I think that would take us on a tangent. <laughs> um, but, but, but the vulnerability that, that it takes 
first to do this work um, and then to write about it and to put it out there for others is really astounding um, and, and, and so commendable. Uh, and so I wonder, I wonder if that might be a, a good place to start. How does it, how does it feel to do that, to, 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 to conduct this type of, of inward looking scholarship that, that, that requires you to be vulnerable and, and allow your beliefs to be challenged and then share that out with others through publication. And, and that was the first challenge that I faced. Vulner, vulnerability, one of the things that I thought it was, it was weakness. So I never wanted to show myself as a weak person, even though that I was the newcomer to this new research group. But as I was taught, I was taught that as a male, I needed to provide for my family. I needed to be strong. I needed to do solo work. I needed to do a, a lot of things that I never expected to be challenged. And then when I started learning about the student-centered pedagogy, I just started realizing that you need to portray yourself vulnerable in certain capacity, not as open as we would expect, but in a certain capacity as a teacher. But then me being vulnerable meant I was a weak teacher and I was not willing to, to, to portray that with my students. And that was the first challenge. Mm. Then I came to realize that that was my biggest strength because that shows that you have the ability to understand others in a different level. Yeah, but it took me a while to understand it and face it and and realize it. And Kim challenged me in different ways that I never expected. And with this new group and this research group with Carlos Luetti and then Raquel Aranda, that was that was the second challenge because I was the only male in a female, uh, uh, a more female group. And it's like, okay, so I'm an, I'm the male. I needed to be the leader. Why am I being led by women? And that's something that challenged as well in a different level. But those two challenges came together mm. and it took me a while to understand that they weren't, they weren't weaknesses. They were just the opportunity for me to overcome something and, and, yeah. and set up from a different perspective, the, the cornerstone of uh, how can I become a different teacher and, and researcher as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, so so kind of getting back to the the, the plan questions that I have, let's start a, a bit broad. Um, uh, what got you interested in this research topic or area more generally? And how does this study fit into your broader line of inquiry? So, yeah, basically. So I taught in the, the, in the Mexican educational system for over 13 years. And, and by nine, by year nine, 10, my students were literally asking me to do something different. And, and I knew in me that I needed to do something different, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. So um, as an undergrad student, uh, uh, I did an um, exchange program to New Mexico State University. So that's where I met Kim. But then I went back to Mexico and, and, and started teaching. But over the years, I kept in touch with her, and she kind of like uh, uh, sent me up with, with ideas and everything. But then one one time she sent me an email that uh they were uh creating a phd program if, if i was interested in in applying to then okay seeing her work uh, uh having her as teacher like okay this is something different that i needed to do then i started realizing that it was when my students were asking me that they wanted to be listened that they wanted to their voice to be heard and and be part of the class 
but I never realized it was so much of a challenge because of the struggles of, okay, I'm the teacher. You need to listen to me. You need to do what I'm planning. All the things that I'm doing is for your benefit. So, but what you're telling me, no, we're not doing that. And it was a, a part of knowing deep in me that I needed to do something different, even though that I wasn't, wasn't clear enough of what I was Mm. the thing I needed to do and I think this feeling of knowing deep inside of me that uh, I needed to do something different for my students that's what fueled me to keep going yeah to, to progress in that that struggle and face it and 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 open up myself to this is it this is what you were looking for it hurt but this is what is what you were looking for Yep. Yeah. And so that that notion then that you're that you're speaking of there is that shift from more of a teacher dominated approach to a student centered approach. Uh, so so you, you, you kind of felt as if a change was needed. And that was that that was the change broadly that that uh, ended up being the one that was needed. Yes. Basically, it's like I knew that I needed to do something different. I wasn't. Yeah. Sure what was it? The opportunity presented itself. I took it. I struggled with that, and then I realized this is the, the the what I was looking for, and 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 it put me in a different uh, spot and in a different position to for me to learn not only to become a better a better teacher quote unquote, but to become a researcher that yeah. understands from a different perspective the challenges that your students are facing, but also to understand the struggles that a lot of teachers are facing as well. Yeah. Yeah, so so I think the natural follow up question here is is to kind of narrow the focus a little bit. So could you tell us about the circumstances surrounding this particular study? Uh, you know, what brought you to this specific purpose or research questions? So uh, the main research question that we wanted to ask is how I overcame the struggles of becoming a more student student-centered facilitator instead of uh, uh, me being a, a, a teacher-centered facilitator. And it was a four-year project. So I kept a journal uh, as a doctoral student. And that helped me to kind of realize the struggles that I faced on a daily basis. We had week, I mean, um, weekly meetings. We had uh, uh, a lot of projects in between. And, and it was high dense in the in literature of student center pedagogies. And all those things kind of like pushed me one time, I mean, one step at a time to realize that I needed to portray, that I needed to uh, uh, to tell other folks that the struggles are real. And it's okay to be to have these struggles and face them. Because otherwise, how are you going to know how are you going to help others with your knowledge? Yes, yeah, so I so, so how long did it take you? I'm, I'm wondering, uh, how, long did, how long did it take you to acknowledge that, because what it's sounding like to me is that your, your kind of espoused pedagogy or the pedagogy that you believed, student-centered pedagogy, was inconsistent. Well, it was. It was inconsistent with maybe what was ingrained inside of you. Um, you know, from from a, from a young age through your own teacher education, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so at what point did you did you realize, or were you able to admit that there was an inconsistency, or could you acknowledge that from the start? Probably during my fourth year as a doctoral student, 
that was when I realized that I, that it was okay to be uncomfortable. I mean, to feel comfortable with you know, uncomfortable situations. Yes, but I love year, that. Because year one, it was the, let's say, well, it wasn't the worst year, but it was the the, the year that I struggled the most. I, because I wasn't willing to ask for help, I wasn't willing to to uh, uh, to provide my feedback. To I wasn't willing to even do something, even though sometimes Kim Kim pointed those to me directly, and I was like, no, no, I'm just listening. I'm not gonna do much, you know. Like I wasn't willing to open up myself. Yeah. Year two, I started feeling more comfortable with the uncomfortableness of comfortableness of it, but I still wasn't willing to ask for help. Yeah. Year three. I felt better, but until year four, that's when I realized it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I just realized that maybe all my academic life is gonna be in between. There's a word from native native Mexicans that uh, they call it nepantla, which means in between. You are caught in the middle, caught in the middle, because you're not. You can. I mean, that's that's one of the things I feel that. Um, Sometimes I feel that I'm caught in the middle because yeah. I still struggle daily on being a teacher center facilitator and a student center facilitator as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm aware of cutting myself. Oh, I'm doing this. So let's go back to this. And probably some, probably I'm going to be always in between. Yeah. But that's okay because that made me, that's, that provides me with an opportunity to understand both worlds. Right. But, both positionalities and 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 to see that the struggles are fine, but you can overcome them and come this way. Yeah, yeah. It, or, or sometimes like, okay, I don't agree with this. Let me find that safe space that I need to reflect and then go and then go back. You know, like it's one of those positionalities where you feel un I mean comfortable enough with that uncomfortableness of being in between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love that idea um, of, of being in between and, and giving ourselves permission to exist in, uh, you know, th th there's another word that comes to mind for how you describe that liminal, liminality, like mm -hmm. a liminal, like a liminal space is sometimes a, a between space. I'm not sure if that's synonymous with the, the concept that, that you introduced uh, or not, but, it, but that, that idea of it, I don't have to be either or. Um, I, I can be in between and that's a constant struggle and that's okay. It's okay to not always be perfect. It's okay to, to have moments where maybe you, you, you kind of stray a little bit and go more teacher centered. It's the reflection and the self accountability that helps you to reground yourself. Am I, I'm kind of interpreting on the phone. No, no, yeah. Makes sense. That, that, yeah, it completely makes sense. That was the struggle that I faced. Like, okay, it's okay to be in the middle. It's okay because that shows that you were willing to to uh, step up right. and, 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 and keep moving forward. You know, like you're not in the place you were. You're now in a different place, in a new place. And in, in a, uh, from a different lens, you can see how things work now. Right. Because you, you can turn around and see, okay, this helped me a lot. I don't need it anymore, but it helped me to 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 be here. Yes, it, it, it pushed me to be to be here. But now I can turn the other way around and like, okay, that's the place where I want to go. I'm not there yet, but I'm can be capable of going back and forth to understand both worlds and 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 create that 
new learning space for my students because yeah. now that I'm uh, teaching my undergrad students and uh, I see their struggles like similar to me. Yeah. And that notion of understanding those struggles and in challenging them in different ways and not only be harsh on, uh, oh, you, you got to face it. No, no, no. You can be as uh, empathetic enough to understand them and tell them, you know what? It's okay, but you got to step up. You got to feel that. And because you're going to be teaching students who are going to be challenging those struggles as well. Yep. So you can be uh, that person that uh, helped them out to understand those and overcome and, and become physically active. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's uh that's, that's really cool. Oscar. Um, I, what a great way to be able to relate to your students um, uh, and, and kind of be able to communicate, Hey, I was there too. Like I get it. I understand. It's okay to struggle. Um, so, th so thank you for sharing that and, and, and what a cool way for you to be able to connect. So just to pivot a little bit, um, if you could talk to us about the methods of this study. I know that you uh, couched it using uh, critical autoethnography. So talk to us maybe a little bit about that and, and what from a methodological perspective you've learned that you've continued to carry with you from this project. So <laughs> a difference between autoethnography and critical autoethnography is that uh, you are criticizing yourself yep. and something uh, really that can be really, really uncomfortable for some researchers sure. because that uh, puts you in a spot where you need to uh, actually go deep inside of you and see the struggles and the, and the wounds that those struggles have created in different ways, but be willing to show them in a different in, in a way that can be understood from others and, and show them that this is a new positionality for researchers that can, um, can become something uh, important within our field. So from that perspective, I wanted to portray the struggles and how I, how I managed the, the, the learning this uh, student-centered pedagogy from year to year, because the data that we collected was from four years, but most of the data came from uh, the year four. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, helped me to realize is that without knowing, I was, uh, doing a autoethnography project because, uh, I kept keeping this journal for me was, uh, let's say, uh, it was something that helped me to understand my struggles on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, and, and also helped me to learn that because I was and this wasn't a challenge that I that I put on 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 the paper, but it was a challenge that I was having struggle with. Uh, being bilingual, sometimes I I wrote things in Spanish and some other in English, and when I started reading it, like it doesn't make any sense. But 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 my mind was something that was dealing with the notion of going in between in in, in between languages. But it was something else. But that, that keeping the journal helped me to uh, keep my ideas together. And basically, on the methodology, we wanted to portray how this struggle of four years can be uh, something that you can report, and 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 not only to report it, only to show the the, the research world that um, it is okay to show yourself in this way, because. Uh, most of the stories that we we portray 
are from a third person, not from a first person perspective. Yep. And we wanted to write it in a first person perspective in that way so that we can actually relate with the struggles of one person, in this case myself, uh, uh, that is facing to learn different different things coming from a quote unquote old world, you know? Yeah, L- love that. Thank you. Um, so, so kind of spiraling off from there, how did this study inform your scholarly identity or future research activities? In other words, what did you learn here that influenced the work that came after it? It helped me to realize that um, my positionality will be always be in between. Ah. That I won't that I won't be able probably it's a way to become hundred percent student centered uh, researcher, but I'm not going back to become a a uh, teacher centered facilitator at all. And being caught in between helped me to realize that see and understand and translate the struggles from people who are coming to that to um, to a different world. And that's okay. And and it put me on the spot of helping others to understand those struggles. And I think my positionality from, from there is always to be the facilitator of learning. And I'm the, that person of pulling or pushing students to a different to a different world that they they, they are facing. Um, that that has created that positionality in me, in me that um, I'm probably on, gonna be always in this in between, or well, at least for now. I don't know how what is gonna happen in five or ten years, but now this is the place that I need to be, and this is the place that I feel that I need to be. And understanding that those things has helped me to realize that you can collaborate with others to understand different perspective. And that's something that has happened with, with, with other college, I mean, colleagues in, in, in Mexico and also in the United States on Europe as well, because you understand similarities. And one of, one of the things that helped me to realize is that um, it's okay in a, we already told you that is it's okay to be in, in the middle. It's okay to be in, in a pantla, which is a safe space zone for you to see where your next step should be. Uh, because you, you don't, because you're in a different spot, you're in a different place right now. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, and what a, what a good kind of orientation as a researcher, especially a qualitative researcher where, uh, you know, the, 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 the social world is evolving, um, the research design and approach are emergent, uh, and things need to change. Um, that that flexibility and mindset to be able to to recognize that I don't have to be a certain way. I don't have to be perfect all of the time. It gives you kind of flexibility to be human. It humanizes you, and it human humanizes research. Exactly, and also uh, coming from my male dominated uh, country, well, where like most of the uh, decision making should come from men it helped me to humanize myself and let others to take that decision without me having the struggle of making that decision which is okay as well because that put me in a spot where okay i'm willing to to flex myself in different dimensions where i don't need to make that right decision quote unquote but um uh, uh 
but to be willing uh, to ask for help, to be willing to let others to do those decisions without uh, help. I mean, me struggling. But at the same time, one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, being a male in a male-dominated country, people listen as, listen as you most. So humanizing myself and me being in between and showing the world that I'm in right now that it's okay to be in between has helped me to humanize other researchers to see the student's perspective in a different way. Oh, love that. Own line of research from their own approaches. And it's okay. It's, it's not that you're giving up your quote unquote power as a teacher is that you are just seeing in between lines or seeing beyond the students' voices, what do they need? And, and that's has something that I've taken advantage of, uh, of my, my privileges in, in certain ways. But from that, from this positionality, be me in the middle as, as a researcher as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um, so this is my second favorite question to ask. Um, do you have any stories accompanying the process of completing this investigation that you feel comfortable sharing that give us a look under the hood? Bonus points if you've got something that can be <laughs> So year one, when we started at the after school club, uh, Carla Luguetti and myself, we were running the club. Uh, we are both from Latin American countries. We share some, I mean, a lot of similarities. And we never realized that we were doing this until Kim pointed out this to us. Uh, uh, Kim is really, I mean, uh, Carla, Carla, Carla and myself, we are really competitive. So there were some kids playing. Uh, I can't remember the, the game we were playing. But we were playing with the kids in, in the after school club. And we were leaving the girls behind. We weren't passing the ball to the girls, Carla included, because oh. we just wanted to. We just wanted to win, and 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 Kim was observing the class, and Kim didn't say anything at all during that time. And it was until we gathered and on our weekly debriefing meetings that Kim pointed out that to us, like, "Did you notice that uh, you were leaving the girls behind?" We're like, "No." Okay, so I, I counted. How many passes you made to the boys and how many passes you made with the girls? You made passes because we were passing the ball each other in order to score. Uh, with the boys, we made 36 passes. And with the girls, we just made like three or four. So like, and that was something that even Carla, they had more experience with the student-centered pedagogy struggle with that um, that was something that she needed to focus on myself as well. Like, okay, okay, so we were overtaking the game. So let's let's just the kids uh, play and we just, we're gonna just facilitate, not not uh, win the game. It, that was something really funny. At the moment, it wasn't funny at all, but then it was like, no, that was really, really funny because <laughs> we were in the game without realizing we were leaving the kids behind because we wanted to win. Yep. Like, okay. <laughs> it gets the best of all of us sometimes. And then exactly. if somebody points it out to you, sometimes you don't see it. Exactly. Yes. And it, but the most interesting part was that Kim let us do it. And, and because she's so like, okay, this is something they're going to learn from. Yes. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to point it out in the right moment. Yep. And, and she pointed out like, oh my God, 
And then, I mean, that was Source story for, for year two or three. They were like, okay, do not, do not overtake the game. You're like, no, 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 I'm not going to overtake the game. And, oh, and it was something yeah. that helped us to, to realize that, okay, you need to see it and, and do different things every day. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So um, before we close out the segment, is there anything else you'd like to share about this paper uh, that we've not been able to talk about yet? So uh, one of the things that 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 paper made me realize is how ingrained my cultural background was without me realizing that it was. Uh, I needed to be outside of my own culture to understand this, those struggles. And even though that that Kim and myself, we had a good but rough relationship because of that, uh, she pushed me in different levels to understand in academic perspective, those struggles that affected my own personal life. And, and one, of, one of the things that I would like uh, others to, to start challenging themselves is how your, your own beliefs and how your own ways of teaching or your own ways uh, as a person will affect your teaching. And, and that's something that, that it will be part of your teaching without you realizing that it's being part of it. So start questioning small questions like, okay, why do I like sports? And am I teaching only sports in my in my curriculum? And is it because just I, I just like sport or is it because sports should be the, the 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 main goal of my curriculum? Because as for me, one of the things that I realized is it was that um I don't like well it's not that I don't like it. Dancing is not my my best interest. But when I started realizing that I wasn't including dancing enough in my curriculum, it's like, okay, you need to incorporate it without uh, uh, thinking that just because you don't like it, it's okay for the students. Like your kids want it, go for it. And it's okay for you to show yourself vulnerable. I only struggle with that, with that word. Vulnerable as a teacher. Yep. Because that shows your students the willingness of doing something uncomfortable in order to learn something new. And awesome. that puts you in a different perspective with your students as well. Yeah. But that takes time, takes time. And 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 you have to be willing to take that time with you as well. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Oscar. Uh so um now uh before we close out, my favorite question that I get to ask. Uh, because we're trying to get to know the stories behind the research, it's fun to end with some rapid fire questions that yeah, that help us get to know you a little bit better. I have six categories. Are you comfortable giving me your quickest response? Okay. Yes. And I think if I remember right, you knew that this was happening, but you don't know the categories. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, favorite color? Blue. Blue. Okay. All right. Uh, I was going to guess red with that shirt. Uh, favorite animal? Dogs. Mm, me too. Uh, favorite season of the year? Winter. Ooh, you know, a lot of people go with summer. Why winter? I, I don't know. I, I, I never liked summer. Mm. For some reason, I never liked summer even when I was a kid. Yep. Yep. So and, I've always, I, I feel the same way. I've always preferred a little bit colder. I don't like to be really Yeah, cold. like, like, like fall. Yeah. Winter in between. It's, it's, yeah, I like it better. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Favorite place on earth? Man, I got several places. <laughs> so there's a place here in Chihuahua. Uh, it's deep in the mountains called Krill. 
but in Creole, there's like a track, like an hour track, walking track. And this, this is, this is, uh, there's a rock right on there on the canyons where you can just sit. Yeah. You like enjoy yourself. And that's one of the, my favorite places that I, that I like to be, you know, like, uh, not, I mean, no, nothing, nothing in there. Just like you can be yourself, enjoy that moment for as long as you want to. And, and, and yes. And there's another place that, um, the city had it, but that, that they don't have it anymore. Uh, it is, uh, like, um, uh, how did the word in Spanish, but it's like, um, um, the place we went to in Chile where they had the, 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 the elevator and, the. Uh, Okay, so there, there's a place similar in Ch there. There was a place similar in Chihuahua that I'd like to go there and just uh, stay there, thinking about nothing. Yep, yep. So very and peaceful. It, yes, very peaceful, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so two more. Uh, favorite food. Mm, do not get me started on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> food, uh, okay. Mexican food enchiladas. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'd like to make them myself with different mm. chiles. Uh, uh, she is. Uh, I like to do all the whole process. Uh, another food that I like, and my mom used to make it. It is like a stew, chile colorado stew, uh, beef, potatoes, and, and and red chili. Yep. Uh huh. And uh, there, there's a soup that I really enjoy eating with my daughter. It's like a um, the fideo, like a, uh, some sort of a. Um, Oh, how do you translate that? Okay, it, it, it's well, it's a soup that I that I learned how to how to cook to my daughter, and uh -huh. she enjoys it with uh, like a lot, and like okay, and that's that's one of the the, the meals that we share with. I mean, uh, that yeah. we share, and 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 it's not a really expensive or or uh, complicated dish, but it's something that we really enjoy. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, last question. Favorite thing to drink. Man, okay. Nowadays it's wine, red wow. wine. But I really like uh, alcoholic beverages, whiskey, uh huh, and non-alcoholic beverages, lemonade. With mineral, yeah, but mineral water. Yep, yep. Uh, the uh, the the bottle of uh, Sotol from Chile came back with us, and uh, I finished it with Emily's family. Nice, yeah. That's something really. It's really smooth. It's really yeah. Yeah, yeah. Her um her brother uh, in law is from Mexico, uh, and was really impressed that we had a bottle of soda. <laughs> See. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. You're earning me bonus points of the family. Um, but uh, thank you so much, Oscar. I uh, really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Um, you know, again, the uh, the uh, the paper uh, related to this podcast will be linked in the show notes uh, if you're interested in reading more. Uh, really great conversation. Appreciate uh, your perspective and your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yep.